0: Hey everyone. Welcome to the Chief Future Officer podcast where we bring the best minds in finance together. This is your host Indus. I am the Chief Savings Officer at Colum during the week and a pilot on weekends. But enough about me. Let's talk to our very special guest. Welcome to the Chief Future Officer podcast. My guest today is Chris Ortega. Chris is the CEO of Fresh FPNA. He helps firms scale their financial operations. Krish has worked for Ernst & Young and has held leadership roles at companies of various sizes, and has dealt with merger and acquisition, financial planning, strategic operations. Krish, welcome to the show. You started your journey with Ernst & Young. Yeah. What was your first job like?
1: Yeah, man. So uh, you know, thank you for having me here. Good to see everybody. For me, um, coming out of college, I was that traditional. You know, I had high school accounting. I took a whole bunch of finance courses, and then when I got to college. I actually just majored in marketing. So ironically enough, I really love like the creative aspect of marketing. And then one of the most like transformational things that ever happened in an accounting and finance, Sarbanes-Oxley happened, right? Like Enron happened, Arthur Anderson went uh, down. Yes, I'm that old, right? People are like, how's he know about how's he know about this? Yes, I'm that old, right? <laughs> but when that happened, like it was like the Oprah Winfrey for accountings, right? It was like every, you get a job and you get a job and you get a job. So I started in accounting and finance and then I did that in college. And then, you know, primarily the goal in college was to get a job afterwards. And, you know, of the big four, I went to Indiana University and majored in accounting and finance, uh, got an honors degree there. And that was one of the, you know, at the time, accounting and finance at Indiana University the Kelley School of Business, from a public university perspective, was probably like the number three out of top five programs in the nation for public schools. And so accounts were in demand. And I had the great opportunity to join Ernst Young, got right into the audit practice. Um, I started right during busy season. So like I didn't have any break. It wasn't any training. It was like, uh, I remember having like a week of training in Chicago, which was all fun and games. And then it was like 78 hours a week in an audit room. But it was a tremendous opportunity. I got to work with a lot of different Fortune 1000 companies here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Got to learn audit, got to learn processes, got to do some Sarbanes-Oxley 404 testing. It was really, for me, like a great opportunity to see like on the outside and inside of like a Eli Lilly, which one, was one of my main clients, and to see how they make money, to see how like an enterprise, multinational, publicly traded finance organization runs. So that's kind of how I got into uh, uh, public accounting at Ernst & Young.
0: Very nice. You mentioned Sarbanes-Oxley. So many of our listeners are founders who have not dealt with Sarbanes-Oxley. They're still early stage startups. Help us deconstruct what Sarbanes Oxley is.
1: Yeah, I mean Sarbanes Oxley uh, is basically one of the biggest uh, takeaways from the Enron uh, was independence, right? So you had to have independence, and one of the things that auditors had to have for their comfort and confidence around their audit opinions of companies is evaluating the company's internal control and processes, right? I've had the opportunities professionally to work at seed companies all the way to enterprise level uh, publicly traded companies, and I can tell you. As a startup, grow-up, scaling organization, the last thing a CEO or CFO at a Series A, Series B, Series C-level company is thinking about starting exactly and developing processes. But to me, the thing I learned the most about public accounting and doing the 404 testing, doing the walkthroughs, doing the test of controls at both private and publicly traded companies in Indianapolis was that processes were the lifeblood of any organization. And it taught me something that I coined the decision cycle, which is basically processes drop data. Data is then turned into information. Information is shared through knowledge to ultimately make a business decision. So process, data, information, knowledge, decision. That was that entire workflow. And I got to see that at, at Eli Lilly and see like how these processes, whether it was AP, whether it was fixed assets, whether it was TNE collections. All of these processes drove data that the information inside the organization was using that ultimately had decision making around it. So for me, it gave me that really, really great opportunity to know that processes are a skeletal framework of any successful organization. And that is whether you're a enterprise publicly traded company or you're a startup scale up organization. You have to have processes documented. You have to have good segregation of duties. You have to understand what could go wrong within your processes. You have to understand process bottlenecks. Um, some of the clients I get to work with are international clients. And that's one of the uh, you know projects I get to work on them from is process improvement, process optimization, and how do they find those bottlenecks and constraints in their processes to change the value proposition in finance. So for me, Sarbanes actually, whether you're publicly or private, wherever you're at in your business stage one of the most important things that you need to be thinking about in terms of scaling your processes.
0: Got it. And then later, after Ernst & Young, I'm just going back to your earlier comment, yeah. you went on to other uh, few startups and then yep. other mid-sized companies, and now you run a business, right? Correct. So you're helping other companies do the financial transformation. Talk a little bit more about you know what services and how you help.
1: Yeah, so basically what Fresh FPNA is, we help businesses transform and scale their finance organization by providing fractional CFO, FPNA, and finance services. You know, basically, we come in, we help assess whether the processes, the six key pillars of any financial transformation. I think one of the most, uh, you know, all of my years, I've been in accounting, finance, FPNA, and and CFO leadership for a little over 17 years. And there's always different waves inside the industry, right? One wave that we went through was like big data. I still to this day don't know what big data means, but it was it had its moment, right? I think financial transformation is a similar, you know, if you were to ask 10 CFOs at any size of organization what financial transformation is, you'll probably get 12 different answers out of those 10 different CFOs. And to me, what I think it is and what my Fresh fp focuses on is building the financial pillars around the six key pillars of financial transformation, people, process, partnership, which are the foundation level uh, pillars that you need to build upon, and then platform performance and profit optimization strategies and tactics. So to me, that is exactly what financial transformation means. And like I said, we help organizations from startup to enterprise level companies execute and start their financial transformational journey to assess where they're at and give them six, eight, 12 and 18 months strategies and tactics around those six key pillars that they can go implement and begin the journey of their financial transformation. So that's what Fresh fp does. I'm super passionate about it. And uh, the coin phrase I give for my organization is, it's a fresh view on finance.
0: Very nice. That's a great punchline. Thank you. I'm very curious about this topic now. So in our first episode, we had Giri or Giridhar Prem saying, he started his career at Ernst & Young and he spoke something very similar. You start your days early, spend 60, 70 hours a week.
1: Oh man, it hurts my heart hearing that right now. (laughs) Uh
0: So is, is this very normal kids coming out of college? I'm not a finance grad, so I'm just curious to understand this. So kids coming out of college, they spend most of their time doing audit?
1: When I look back at it, right, and I get the opportunity. Um, a couple months ago, I was talking to the Kelly School of Business here in Indianapolis, Indiana, which is the IUPUI Kelly School of Business. And they asked me, they said, Chris, they asked me a great question. They said, Chris, if you had the opportunity, would you go back and go big four? And I told them, and I was like, I wouldn't go do that. And they were like, oh my God, huh. you wouldn't go big four? You wouldn't go back? Because the big four, now that I look over my career, you know, and I look back at it, it was a great experience. I absolutely loved it. But the big four is treated like a fraternity, right? And they, they they literally have like fraternity names. You got KPMG, you got ENY, you got <laughs> DNT. It's like a fraternity, right? I, I will show everybody uh, my, my Ernst Young. And for those listening right now, you can't see my Ernst Young branding that I have on my right shoulder, but that's what it was, right? And when I look back at it, like if you couple it with, right? Now, for some people, that's really important to them. Right. Like, you know, public accounting and being part of that, not only for the relationships you build, the clients you get to work with, the knowledge you gain, the training you get, all the resources, all those things that come along with it. Right. But also, like for me, I, I told him, I said, if I had the opportunity, I would have came out of school and went go work directly at a startup and it blew their Jeez. mind. And they were like, what are you talking about? You give up big four to go work at some startup. And I said exactly that. And the reason why is at a startup in finance, you are not just the FP&A person. You're not just the staff accountant. You're not just the CFO. You are like 12 different hats in one position. When I look back in in the first startup I was a part of, I started off in accounting, right? I was leaving public accounting. I left Ernst Young. I jumped right into a company called ChaCha Search, which was doing uh, text-based messaging and a software solution that provides to advertiser to advertise through text. When I jumped into that organization, I was still in an accounting role, but it was like four of us on the team. It was myself, a controller and a CFO. Right. And that was the first experience that I had where it wasn't just me doing accounting like I was doing FP&A stuff before FP&A was ever a thing. Right. I was helping with legal contracts. I was helping HR with recruiting. I was helping operations with the building that we're in. Heck, I was helping getting, you know, I was the assistant. I was getting lunch for people and making sure, you know, people had their, you know, lunch and coffees and stuff. I wore all these different hats and I absolutely loved it. I love that opportunity to learn a lot of different disciplines, right? So for those people that want to go audit and you want to be very specific, you want to, you know, go that partner route, more salute to you. But I learned early on in my career and I think a lot of professionals now that are entering the work market they want to be jacks of all trades, right? They don't want to be specialists in like when there's one specific ASC 606 code that is revenue recognition, I want to know everything about it. You know, they want to be more, they want to have more opportunity to have a seat at the table. They want to have opportunity to learn and grow in different areas. They want to learn different things. So for me, if you're that kind of professional, you have that balance to be able to make. Now, I don't ever discredit it. Like I said, it was one of the most uh, monumental experience that I've had and I'm forever rewarded for it. But given now, if I had the opportunity, I was coming out of college, jump into startup life. Hmm.
0: I think that's a bingo bingo comment. I, I love how you It's a fire. It's a fire it.
1: comment. Anytime I said it's like yeah. fire, like hashtag fire. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you transitioned from a marketer at high school that you wanna to be to a finance person. Yeah. If you go back even to your primary or middle school, what was life like? Where did you
1: grow up? Oh, man, I love this question because I think I've always been an entrepreneur. I just never knew it. Um, and some of my earlier stages. So uh, I, I primarily grew up in a, a single parent background, me, my mom and my sister. My father passed away at a very young age. And, you know, my mom was, you know, like a lot of, uh, you know, I grew up in the inner city. I you know, full transparency to everybody. I grew up in the hood, right? Like I grew up literally in the hood, Mm -hmm. uh, low income, you know, I was the, me and my sister were the first generation of college students to ever go to college before. And me growing up, you know, like I always, my mom did her best, right? Like my mom worked a lot. She worked three or four jobs to make sure that we had food, to make sure, you know, the basic necessities were met. But for me, like I always looked at that as like, man, this is an opportunity. And I remember my, my first entrepreneurship venture that I had. And basically what it was, and this is coming into this season during October, right? Me and a couple of my friends, I lived in a couple different different uh, apartment section neighborhoods, like section eight housing. And it was a couple different neighborhoods, like four of them in a, in a, in a block. And I had this great idea to my friends. I said, Hey guys, Halloween is coming up. And at the time, like trick or treating was like really big. Right. I said, man, let's start off uh, the day before Halloween and the day of and let's trick-or-treat as many hours as we can, hit up as many houses, let's get... And we came back, long story short, we came back with pillowcases full of candy. (laughs) And one of my friends, he had a 24-hour clubhouse. And what we would do is we would all come in with these pillowcases of candy, and we dumped all the candy in the middle of this room. And we had Ziploc, little plastic bags of Ziplocs. And what we did, we separated the candy. We said fruity candy, which was like Starbucks, Skittles, And we had chocolate candy, which was Snickers, Milky Ways, you know, Kit Kats, and all those things. And we had all these bags, and we made three different bags. We made a fruity bag, a chocolate bag, and a mixed bag. And we made all these bags sit up, and it was me and my two friends. And we got all these bags up, we split them up three different ways, and we sold this candy outside of our locker during our passing period. So we be at our we be at our oh. locker and people be like, "Hey Chris, I need two mixed bags, one chocolate or one fruity." And I'm just handing these out in my in my locker room like trying How, out how to much get... did you sell them for? I sold so the mixed bags, and this is back this is a long time ago. The mixed bags I sold for $2. Everything else like the candy and the fruity I sold for $1.50. So we were just selling these things out of our locker. That's
0: minute. 100% profit. Uh, all of
1: it. 100%. And basically what it able what it was able to me to get because you know, at the end of the day, like, Jordan Air Jordan sneakers were, like, really, really popular. Like, that's what all the rich kids and all the cool kids had. And these entrepreneurship hustles, it got me to get me a pair of Jordans. And my mom was like, you know, my mom could never afford Jordans for me. She could never go to the store and say, go spend $150 on some sneakers. She would never do that. And I was able to do that. And then, I, you know, then the winter time come up, I was shoveling snow. Summertime would come up, I'm doing grass. Like, I always found a way that I could legitimately, you know, come up with my friends and make some opportunities to get some money. So uh, I think I've always been a hustler. I just didn't know it.
0: Interesting. How is the business like with Fresh FPNA?
1: Yeah, so the business is going really well. Um, I started earlier this year. Um, you know, for me, it was kind of I, I got to that fork in the road in my career, right? Like I, you know, reached the top levels of leadership and finance organizations. Um, I was able to help a marketing platform company go through exit to SAP which was one of those mountaintop opportunities to be able to have, like to, to work at a company, to build and grow it and shape it, and to ultimately help lead the acquisition to SAP, monumental milestone. I was at that stage and I was like, you know what? I had this opportunity. I have all this experience. I have all this passion. I have all this energy. I have all this experience of like the wrong, the right, and everything in between on how like to grow a finance organization. I failed so many times, but I took those learnings. And I said, for me, like what the mar- what right now, there needs to be like a fresh perspective on finance. Like that's hmm. what I bring to it. I bring, you know, the passion, I bring the attitude, I bring the, the swagger to finance. And I said, man, there needs to be a fresh view. And I was like, fresh FPNA. But FPNA to me is not the traditional FPNA, it's not financial planning and analysis. I said, there needs to be a fresh perspective on financial partnership and advising. That's the fresh perspective that's needed in finance. So for me, I kicked, I took the entrepreneurial leap, which I had the opportunity of working with a lot of other entrepreneurs who took that same leap of faith. Uh, some of them are my mentors, and some of them are my great advisors. And they said, "Chris, man, you're passionate about it. You know it. Take the leap of faith and, and start your own business." So I started it earlier this year, and I've been running it and still learning it. I'm still learning it, growing it, still you know uh, doing what I can to grow the business. But to me. One of the most important things, and I think every listener needs to take this, and maybe you're at that place in your career where you're thinking about starting a new venture, you're thinking about you know, moving from accounting to FP&A, you're thinking about, do you really want to go and chase the, the the corporate ladder to CFO? The most important thing, advice I was given was said, Chris, at the end of the day, chase your purpose, right? Chase your purpose, fuel it with your passion, and put people first, and everything else will fall into the... Everything else, success, growing. I mean, when I look back over my career, those have been my pillars. I've never chased praise. I've never chased status. Um, I never chased, you know, all these other things. I really wanted to make sure I was chasing my passion and my purpose. And to me, that's what, you know, really catapulted me to starting my own business at Fresh fp
0: Very nice. I'm going to go back in time once more. You mentioned Sybens Oxley. And then, of course, now you're running your own business. And then you've had leadership roles in finance along the way. How has the role evolved for you personally? Are you doing the same thing that you're doing, let's say, 15 years ago?
1: Or, (laughs) oh, it's a massive change now. It's a massive change. I'm not even, 15 years ago, I'm not even doing things I did two years ago, right? (laughs) And I think what the change is, like, what has happened, right? The biggest change that has happened, I think, has been the pandemic right? The pandemic has mm. changed and accelerated a lot of different things that I think were always themes before, but these were like, the pandemic was like the gaslight and accelerator, right? Like remote working, empowerment, you know, people really looking at their uh, skills, passions, and talents and making sure they have an organization to that. ESG, economic, social, and uh, governance issues. All these things had a momentum, but the, the pandemic just accelerated, just like five, six exit. It's like it's like when you're watching a movie and you hit the, the fast forward button and it goes from like two to 16. That's what happened with these things. Right. And what what was the catalyst like? What was the catalyst? Right. The catalyst was organizations that were going through the pandemic. Right. At this moment, a lot of CROs, a lot of chief marketing officers, they said, look, we are going into a stage of massive amount of uncertainty, massive amounts of challenge, massive amounts of risk. Like. The CFOs and and CROs and chief marketing officers were like, hey, CFO, you need to take the lead, right? And those CFOs that navigated through the uncertainty, the challenge, and all this complexity came out on top. It set the new baseline of what the business demanded outside of the office of the CFO. So now if you look at that, the goalpost has changed. The measuring stick has changed. The evaluation and demand that the business needs From the modern cfo is now it's further along right but you look at the lat like traditionally accounting and finance when it comes to partnership when it comes to platform adoption when it comes to uh uh, you know being great storytellers when it comes to a lot of these skill sets it's this gap right between where the profession was and what the business demands and when you see this is basic economics right when there's high demand and there's a low supply. Prices go up. Value goes mm. up. So now the value proposition that business has put on the modern CFO, the modern CFO needs to be great people, advocators. They need to be great uh, connective inside the uh, organization. Right. They need to have a strong handle on technology and use that not to be laggers, but technology adopters. Right. They need to drive a high performance culture, not only inside of their organization, but outside of their organization. They need to be great storytellers. They need to be able to turn complexity into clear, concise conclusions that can speak the business language, right? It's all these different skill sets and mindsets that are now being demanded by the business, which to me, I think creates opportunities for those modern CFOs. So to directly answer your question, man, it is it is a great time to be in accounting, finance, fp and and CFO leadership because we have the opportunity to rewrite the legacy of what it means to be a CFO of the future.
0: Pretty interesting. You bring up the modern CFO as an example. Uh, Another guest, we were talking to Weilun earlier. I think it was in our second episode or third episode. And he brings up very similar how the thesis of CFO has completely changed. I want to ask you a question related to that. So is modern CFO a skill that you could learn and acquire or you have to be in a job that forces you to drop your old ideas and become a modern CFO. Like, hey, hey, just by the nature of what you do, rather than, hey, what you can learn. Is that one or the other?
1: I love this question. I've never been asked this. Is it basically, is the modern CFO nurture or is it nature, right? Like, that's basically what it yeah. is. Yeah. I like that yeah. question. I think, to me, it's a combination of both, right? When I look at it, like, I think the the college and university, right, like, it's going to treat, teach you that traditional. Hey, here's what ASC six hundred six means. Here's how you do like you know impairment tests. It's going to teach you a lot of the fundamental building blocks of like the technical knowledge that you need, which I think is like the nurture side, but the nature side, which is just naturally part of you. The art of storytelling, being a great communicator, being a great collaborator, loving technology, being a technology adopter, right being a culture carrier inside the organization. These are things you got to learn through experience, right? These are things like when I learned to be a great storyteller, it's because I've been in the positions, in the learning environments, empowered and enabled with the tools and technologies that I needed to go gain those skills, right? I have never in my MBA studies or in college ever took a class to say the art of storytelling 101. I never took that, right? I never took I never heard of that. I never took a class that says, here's how to be a great business partner, right? Here's how to be an ally, right? I never took a course to say, here's how you take a company's, you know, people perspective and here's how you identify the core competencies that are needed and how you do a baseline assessment of that. I was never taught that in school, right? I didn't take an MBA class. There's no LinkedIn course that was offered to do that. So to me, I think the modern CFO is like, you got to have a lot of those innate kind of, you got to be a great listener. I think Mm -hmm. being a great listener is like one skill set of like every CFO needs to have. You need to be a great listener. And you not only need to listen, look at all the stakeholders the CFO has to listen to. Internal stakeholders, external stakeholders, bankers, executives, staff, HR. You've got to be a great listener. The second one is, too, is like, which I think is really important to the office of the CFO going forward, is we got to be empathetic, data-driven, decision-making leaders, right? Because if one thing we haven't taken away from this pandemic and the uncertainty, maybe what the U.S. is going into, a recession, at the end of everything that we're doing behind all of our models, all of our recommendation, all of our assumption, there's a human element to that. And you have to take that in consideration. You have to really think about that, Right. And where I challenge a lot of modern CFOs and just current CFOs right now, a lot of those historical, I call them dinosaur level principles. Right. We got to let those go. Right. We like right now, when you're thinking about like how you're optimizing your cash, a lot of CFOs are going to that traditional wheelhouse to say, well, people are our most expensive resource. Cut our headcount by 30 percent. That'll save us cash. Why are you going to the first place to do that? There's more modern ways. Mm. You can look at contract negotiations. You can look at pricing behaviors. You can look, you can look at all these hosts of tactics that you can go leverage before you go have a human element affected. So it's changing that dynamic to say the CFO is not just about maintaining the financial discipline of our organization. It's maintaining the financial health for our entire departments. We gotta know the pulse of the business. So to me, like, yeah, it is a combination of nature versus nurture for those modern CFOs. And you got to get in the game. Well, you never win the game if you don't check yourself in and go start shooting those shots, man.
0: Got it. You mentioned recession. Yeah. And that's a topic that kind of worries me all on a daily basis. I've not watched as much TV that I've watched in the last couple of months. Uh, CNBC is always on just to get acquainted in terms of what's going on in the market. What do you think is happening? Are we in a recession? Are we going to go in a recession? How bad is this?
1: Yeah, I remember coming out of school. um, I was part of the housing recession in 2008, 2009, right? And I remember going through that. And I think what a lot of organizations are doing, when I look at a lot of the leading indicators, right, when I look at interest rates, um, when I look at the foreign exchange rates, when I look at GDP, when I look at, you know, the uh, consumer price index, looking at all these leading indicators, right? I'm still not 100% that we're marching right into a recession. I think what a lot of organizations are doing is they're trying to be proactive to make sure that they, you know, right-size their business because they don't know, right? We don't know if we're walking into it. We don't know how long it's going to be. We don't know all these different things. So I think there's a lot of unknowns around it. And to me, like, there's a great mentor of mine. His name is Sean Brady. And he says, I remember coming to him. I worked with Sean Brady at Amarsis, which was the marketing platform company he was leading our America's operations. And I remember I would come to him with a lot of different data. And he says, I remember he told me, he says, Chris, one to two points, one to two indicators over two to three months, that doesn't set a trend, right? We still need time to see how these leading and lagging indicators around the macro and microeconomic, both US and globally, how those perform. So I think we're still in that evaluation and discovery phase, right? So That's kind of how I look at it. But you have some other organizations that are being a lot more proactive, right? They're making their reductions. They're reducing their headcounts. They're, you know, reducing their new requisitions. They're optimizing their spend, They're doing all the right things that they need to do. But I think some of those can signal the wrong thing, right? Like when you have Mm. these bigger companies, right, that are making these big swoops of uh, headcount and layoff reductions, right? I think it is, you know, like a lot of the market right now is emotional, right? Whether you're looking at crypto markets or the basic (laughs) financial markets, you know, like there's a lot of emotion that go into it. And I think, you know, let's see how the trends, particularly let's see how the rest of this year goes, right? That's like my catalyst that I'm looking at is like, how do we see the rest of the year going? And what are some of those like indicators to bank on for 2023, like interest rate, customer spending? I think the uh, even the foreign exchange market with the euro and USD is a pretty interesting uh, thing to, to top on that. So I'm still in the evaluation phase and I'm not like 100% to say like, right, we're running into it.
0: Yeah, I think the jury is still out, you know, but the indicators are all pointing towards it. You know, the market is reflecting a sentiment that is being built for the last, I would say, three, three and a half, four months. So fingers crossed. Hope it's a soft landing rather than a hard nose crash. I'm going to go back to your early days, which you mentioned earlier, growing up in the inner city. And then, of course, now running your own business, getting an MBA in between, an undergrad degree, <laughs> dream or there's more to it, Chris?
1: Yeah, for me, man, I think like it goes back to when I was seven years old. And I'm, this is probably one of the most like monumental moments of my whole life. And I think it's written my whole destiny, right? My mom came to me and I remember being seven years old, you know, I'm in this, I'm in the second grade at this point. My mom came to me and she says, Chris, do you know what your initials mean? And I'm like, I don't like, what is initials? Like, what, what is that? What are you talking about? And she said, your initials are CEO. And she says, do you know what that means? And I was like, no. She's like, your initials are the highest level you can ever reach in any business. And when she said that to me, I knew what business was, because when I was over at my grandma's house, I would always watch the prices right. And I was always asked the questions. And So your
0: middle name is or e. Initial is E. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, so
1: CEO or my initials. And I, you know, seven years old, I was like, I didn't know this. And <laughs> I, when my mom told me she's like the highest level you can reach in business, I knew what business was. And I was like, I remember telling her, I was like, mom, I'm a fireman in business. And she's like, exactly, Bunny. You are a fireman in business. You're the highest level. And that carried me. That carried me to always like, I, I wear that as a badge of honor. So for me, I think reaching, I'm never going to be that type of person. I just know how I'm wired. I'm way passionate. I'm never going to be a person to retire. I'm never like, hey, I got 20 more years of working. I think to me, it, and it gets back to what I mentioned earlier, right? As long as you're walking in your purpose and as long as you're fueling your purpose with your passion and you're putting people first, as long as I'm here on earth and I'm following 100% that recipe and delivering my skills, passions, and talents to help others realize and achieve greatness, I'm living my dream every day, man. And whether that's with businesses, whether that's with other entrepreneurs, whether that's being a, an example of you know, a minority community, right, um, You know, I am biracial, my, my mother's African-American and Caucasian, my father is Latino and Italian, so I come from a very diverse community, and as long as I can serve as an example for those next group of accounting, finance, FP&A, CFO professionals that are looking, hey, man, you can do it. And as long as you're chasing your purpose and your passion and fueling that to help people, man, it's winning every day, and I'm thankful every day that I have the opportunity to be able to pour that into people. So I'm still, I always say I'm still dreaming. And I'm, I'm I'm still dreaming.
0: <laughs> nice. What book has been, or one or two books have been your source of inspiration, or you want to go back and read it again, or you read it again every day?
1: Yeah, I think for me, um, I'm not a I'm not a huge book reader, so I don't have like a calorie list, right? But I think there's one book that uh, one of my mentors told me to read, and it's one I always go back to and really really insightful. It's a book by Robert Greene called The Forty Eight Laws of Power, right? And the thing I love so much about it, it gives you 48, like, it's not these laws where you're just like, how is this applicable? I don't even know how it makes sense. Every law that it goes over, it's like six or seven pages, and it gives you the right way the law was performed, and it gives you, like, historical context. It doesn't, like, make up some example, right? It actually gives you moments in time in history where the law was, like, performed well and where it was not performed well, and it gives you, like, tactics that you can go implement. So for me, it was not only a great book that taught me about the laws of it, right? It taught me about, like, history. Like, I learned history from it. I'm like, this is, like, the best of both worlds. I can, you know, when the Jeopardy question comes on and it starts talking about, like, ancient history, I'm like, maybe I can draw upon my 48 laws of power, right? Um, but it, it gave me a lot of different things to think about as, you know, as I build my business, as I build my personal persona, um, and I usually go back and reference those, like, if I'm thinking about something, I'm like, man, this is a great one. Uh, this is a great, the law of power, right? Like one of them is, you know, never outshine your master and like all these other different ones and how you apply it. And just, it's been a really, really helpful book for me that I think I've taken away where as I progressed in my career, some of those laws, I think like they made sense in the book, but I never got a chance to actually do it. And then I look back over my career and I'm like, man this is where I really use this like I had to get to this level and get to this audience and get to this conversation before I could really exercise like me actually you know utilizing this law of power and to me like you know the definition of power is just the ability to be able to control or influence a behavior or action right so it's not it's not really like I have power to tell people what to do or dictate it's like how do I make my intrinsic power? be extrinsic power for people as well too. So kind of flipping on its own as well from the historical context, but highly recommend that book. It's a it's applicable whether you're in accounting, finance, or whatever uh, discipline that you're in, highly recommend. The audiobook for for uh, even the audiobook version of it, really, really cool too if you just want that audiobook option.
0: I have flipped some pages of that. I, if I remember, it's an orange color. Yep, orange and blue. Orange, blue, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty thick, uh, you know, thick greed. So yeah, thank you for that recommendation. My last question to you, Krish, is you're super passionate about uh, the financial transformation and then you run a business, you advise other CFOs and other companies. What does your calendar look like and how intense is your day?
1: Man, my day every day I wake up, man. And it's like the, you know, classic entrepreneur life, man. I got, I got meetings in the morning. I got my fractional CFO clients that I work with. I got prospecting that I do. I'm a you know, I have a team of people that I kind of bring in to, to to help me out. But really, I think one thing I've learned for me as I'm growing my business is like the most important thing for any entrepreneur out there. And I know it's cliche, but like there is value in like getting to a point where you learn something and then bringing on a person that has just that that next level gear to take it, you know, to the next limit. Right. So that's like scale. You got to think about yourself. Like, yeah, there's great opportunity in YouTube has created a platform where you can learn almost anything, right? Like I've learned content marketing, I learned video editing. I learned prospecting. I learned selling. I learned web, like all these skills, like as a CFO inside of organizations, I'm learning all the other stuff around it. Right. But I think one of the most important things that you have to realize is like everything that I'm doing, I got to think about what if I was doing this five times the size, six times the size, 10 times the size, you have to always thinking about scale, right? And when you get to that point where you've scaled your knowledge, scaled your learning, scaled everything that you can do, and you've got that 80% of it done, that last 20%, think about bringing on a person to help you with that 20%, right? Think about a person that can help you with your content strategy, your video strategy, your prospecting, like all these other business elements that maybe you're not the most passionate or knowledgeable about, that frees your time up to now go focus on the areas of business that you're passionate about. That's exactly the value proposition that Fresh FP&A gives to businesses. We help you focus CEO, founder on areas of your business that you're most passionate about. Maybe it's the product side, maybe it's the marketing side, maybe it's the sales side, whatever passion area that you have in the business, Fresh FP&A can help maintain and transform and scale your finance order. We take that scale. So you worry about the elements that you're uh, most important about. So for me, I think that's the advice. And honestly, as well, when I, you know, in closing to all the accounting, finance, FPA, and a and CFO leaders, like, one question I'd love to leave you with to think about, and feel free, message me, I'm all over LinkedIn, check me up, like, make sure to connect with me and follow with me. Uh, I'd love to know your answer to this question, but think about the legacy. What is gonna be the legacy that you're leaving as a finance professional, as a brother or sister, mother, father, uh, person in your community, um, person in your housing, where you live at, where you come from, all of that. Think about that legacy that's going to resonate for the next five to 15 years and know right now you have the opportunity to write whatever that legacy is going to be. And I'm super excited because as accounting, finance, FPA, and CFO professionals, we have a tremendous opportunity to completely disrupt the value proposition of the modern CFO of the future. I'm super pumped about it, man.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Chris, for your time. It was a pleasure talking to you. Fantastic conversation.
1: Thank you so much. And for everybody, um, if you want to follow me, I'm all over LinkedIn, uh, Fresh fp I'm all over my socials. Follow me at Fresh FP&A, F-P-A. And then my website is www.freshfpa.com. Happy to connect with you. Let me know how I can help and support. And thank you so much for your time.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Chief Future Officer podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback. And it'd be amazing if you could share this with anyone who may find this interesting. That's me, Indus from Colum, signing off. See you in the next episode.